if you would please turn open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where we're going to be in God's word this morning as we continue our series, Making Christ Visible. You know, we, we get to do that as a church, we remind ourselves uh, with communion, but the, the world looks at the church to see Jesus. And all of the one another's of the New Testament give us very clear a very clear game plan on how to make Christ visible with all that we are. This morning, uh, a topic that the more I studied, the more excited I got about it, but it's just, it's one of those things that you try to grasp onto, and it's about patience and being patient with one another. If you're like me, when when you try to work on patience, you're convinced you're never, ever, 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 ever going to be patient because everything is just always frustrating and working on our impatience. Uh, but that the Lord will, I hope, will give us understanding of how we're to be patient with one another. Uh, just a little caveat to what Milton shared and, and announced about the Alpha course coming up. Uh, we are looking to do six sessions where, you saw the picture, we remove all these chairs, put out tables and go through a series of questions. The Alpha Course is an introduction to the Christian faith, and you can, you can share it that way, but here's who it's for. People who do not have a relationship with the Lord, and they really don't go to church, and they don't know what they think about the Lord, but they know you, and they know there's something odd about your life. It's for people who are new to the faith. They've just prayed to receive Christ. Maybe they've They've just learned what the gospel is, and they, they are interested in learning more and want more. It's for them. It's also for those who are uh, have been saved and believers for a very long time, but they're not in a church, perhaps. You know, we ask the Lord to, to send lost sheep and wandering sheep to us to be able to care for them, and they, they would find a home here. Uh, the Alpha Course is a great opportunity for that. So even if you know somebody that it, you, you know is not in a church anywhere, it's a great opportunity to invite them. Hey, why don't you just come to the church? It's dinner every Tuesday night, beginning September 10th, going on for six weeks. What we're looking to do after that, uh, after those six weeks is still do a four-week small group session with them to introduce them to the concept of community groups. That we've never done that part before, so we're hoping that will be a, a helpful uh, bridge into hopefully getting folks more connected to us as a church. Uh, so I, I invited couple people this week, and they said yes. People want to come. So it's all that weird, awkward, eh, how do I, eh, trust the Lord in that moment. You know, a church is having this thing called alpha, the Alpha Course, and please say the Alpha Course, not just Alpha, and that's all for all of you who have been a part of Alpha for a long time. We throw out that word, everybody goes, what? You're selling me something, aren't you? It's like Amway, isn't it? Say the Alpha Course, that way people have a, a better understanding of what it is and, and what you're asking them. You know, my church is having this thing called the Alpha Course. Uh, just go through a series of questions about the Christian faith. You came to mind about that. Would that be something you'd be interested in coming with me, with me, to remember you're inviting them, you're sitting with them? So that's, that's easy. I know we, we talk ourselves out of so much because we're fickle. We have fear of man. <laughs> we don't want to be rejected. But listen. We have people that are not promised, our lives too, that are not promised tomorrow. So we want to be useful 
Well, we want to be available to the Lord has. So be paying attention in the next couple weeks on how God brings people across your path that you would like. It's so weird. You just came across my... Yeah, because God does stuff like that. And it's really fun. Also, uh, community groups will be beginning, will be, be uh, picking back up uh, after the week of Labor Day during that week, around that time. And more details will be coming out about those. We are looking to still do our community groups while we're doing the Alpha course because we want to maintain the fellowship that we have with one another. Uh, so it's a big commitment. We're asking that you go to be still be involved with community group and serve, invite somebody, serve in a particular way, particular way for the Alpha course. All right, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Lord, we ask that your word would sink deep into our hearts and, and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, we remember the days when we were kids and on a road trip driving, the famous question, are we there yet? And then we're frustrated by our own children who ask the same question, and we understand a little of the torment that we put our parents through on those road trips. But I find myself getting very impatient with my children whenever they've asked that question because they got a bunch of distractions that we didn't have. Like we had to force ourselves to sleep on long road trips. Like I force, like I'm gonna go to sleep so time can go and not crawl. They have all these gadgets. They can watch movies and they can play games. Like what? What are you fussing about? You got everything. You drive. I'm gonna. I'll. I'll play something so we can have. But we we ask the question: Are we there yet in our spiritual lives? That question comes up too. It comes up in our own lives because we we get frustrated with ourselves when we're not growing fast enough. And when we keep dealing with the same sin patterns over and over and over again, we can battle discouragement. We we are faint-hearted, or we can be idle when it comes to pursuing holiness and pursuing the things that God wants and the obedience that He has for our lives. We can be idle where we just. We don't do anything. But sometimes that, that happens in our walk with God, and, and we say, God, am I, why am I not there yet? Why is this still an issue for me? Or in our relationships with one another that shows up, where we have we've seen somebody and we've seen them idle or faint-hearted or weak, and we're asking them, how can I help? How can I be of encouragement to you? How can I pray for you? How can I walk? And you begin walking with that person for a while. And when you bump into their idleness and faint-heartedness and weakness, our temptation is to ask God, God, why isn't this person there yet? We've had like two conversations. They should know. But that's not the context that the church is to be. The church is to be that place where where growth happens, and we are to be patient with one another to see the growth, one in ourselves, but also more in, in the context of what the Apostle Paul is telling the Thessalonian church, with one another, there needs to be patience in that growth. The impatience that we confront in ourselves can be a sneaky thing. Uh, we're, we don't mean to be overtly impatient with others, but we can move on too quickly from them and leave them vulnerable in the flock. Leave them vulnerable to their own battles with condemnation or the enemy's attack. 
You know, 1 Corinthians 11.33, in the, the context of when Paul is, is telling the church about communion, he says to them, wait for one another. That was physically wait for one another because you had a bunch of people who brought dinner together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and people didn't get off work yet, and the people who didn't get off work yet were the lower class of society, and so everybody that showed up with their food is kind of like, you know, food's going to get cold, so we should go ahead and eat. And they were so narrowly focused on their own desires and what they are doing, neglecting the fact that they were communicating to everybody else in the church that they were lowlifes, that they weren't worthy enough, they didn't have a good job. They didn't have a, a well-paying job. Maybe they were slaves to somebody else working off debt in their, in their house, and they couldn't get off till about 6 o'clock, and it took a little while to walk to the place that the church was meeting. He says, wait for one another, and that's a physical wait. And that doesn't look like just sitting down, tapping our toe, like, can you hurry this up? But what's being described is a support that comes underneath, carries along, and waits for one another. So let's, this is our big concept for today. God has collected his ragtag disciples together within the patient greenhouse of the church so Jesus will be visibly exalted as preeminent. Rem, be reminded of who God has collected as his church. Excuse me, we must remember the church is not a special, a special interest club. We don't pay dues. We don't gather around uh, commonalities that bring us together. We're not a bunch of car enthusiasts. We don't, this is not a tennis club, not a multi-level network that gathers around people excited about the same things and enthusiastic about the same things. We're, the church is very different than that. The church is the collection of the redeemed. Let's, let's think about who the redeemed are. Those who have had the chaos of their souls calmed by a miraculous compassion displayed on the cross. That's the church is. Now, God, I love that. And the Apostle James tells us that God doesn't choose the best and the wise. Or the, the, he's not a respecter of persons in that way to be able to choose. Paul says he's not choosing the wise. It's actually just the opposite. God didn't choose you because you were something special. He chose you because you were broken. And he is, his gospel, his power will be displayed in us through that brokenness as he heals us and puts us back together. We have been sought after God for the glory of God. We have won by God for the glory of God. And we have been set apart as his called out ones. The original word for church in the New Testament means called out ones. So this would be Christ community called out ones. That's what church meant. It's the collection. And, and that collection is a bunch of ragtag disciples. Remember what Jesus had around him? He had a zealot who wanted to overthrow Roman rule at any moment, and he had a tax collector, somebody who was partnering with Rome to collect God's money and give it away to the enemy. You think Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector probably got in some arguments? Probably so. But he, choose, uh, he chooses, Jesus chooses a myriad of disciples. He does the same thing with us the same exact thing. But he chooses the powerless of the world to love one another so their love would be a majestic tapestry woven together to reveal Jesus to the world. Look at what Paul says to the Corinthian church. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's helpful when we think we're something in the body of Christ. Because we have to put ourselves... All right, these are, these are our characteristics. Foolish, weak, low, despised, nothing. And when we've learned to walk in that, we recognize, oh, that's exactly where I need to be in order for God's power to be displayed. God has collected a varied group of disciples. We are not all alike. We think differently. We have different perspectives. And that's on purpose. God's bringing that together to show his glory. You know, uh, the first couple verses, 12, 13, before these verses we're considering are, are Paul's admonition to the pastors in the church. Hey, pastors, make sure you're doing your work right. And he tells the church, make sure you're honoring the pastors because pastoral ministry is hard. In studying, I, I came across a pastor who was asked about ministry. He said, well, it's kind of like herding cats, but herding cats is easier. Because we have differences, different personalities, temperaments, and how we view things. We see things from different perspectives. And God's bringing that together on purpose to refine. You have a unity that comes together that's based not in our commonality, our common interests, but in his glory that's resident in our hearts. Because he wants, he's continually giving a fuller revelation of his character. And the glory of our unity is that God has taken people with different personalities to exalt Jesus together so he's made visible. And within these varied personalities lurk opportunities that Paul's describing. Idleness, which is irresponsibility. Faint-heartedness, which is discouragement. And weakness, which is uh, defining a spiritual weakness. Just a battle for faith when fear is bigger and I can't, have faith, I can't find the faith to overcome my fears. These are genuine believers being described. And some are new believers who lack maturity. Others are believers that lack knowledge while others lack faith. When we interact with these kinds of people, we're called to be patient with them when really we're tempted to avoid them or be sick of them. Now, I've, it's been a couple years since I've railed on people who say, I'm sick of it. That really is not something that a Christian should ever say. Why? Like our, our response, I'm just sick of it. Because we never, ever hear those words from God about us. And so when, when we say that, we have to immediately recognize my pride is way on the throne, and God is not. Because God, in his patience with us, he doesn't get sick of us. He forbears. He, he's long-suffering, the Bible describes. Now, when we get around people within the church, what tends to happen is that we position ourselves with the people that we get along with the best. That, that's not bad. But what happens is that we get along with these people so well that we end up neglecting others in the church that really do need our perspective. They need our help. They need our support. And what I, I loved about what happened with guests who's coming to dinner in the early, earlier in the summer is that it put people together outside of our context that we're used to hanging with in the church, and that was helpful. But what we have to do, and, and community groups is a wonderful aspect of this because we're put, we're put with people, kind of forced to, to cross 
contaminated is the word that came to mind, but that's really not what we're doing. We, we pollinate. Oh, that's good. Thanks, Lamont. We need to, yes, cross-pollinating. We need to get around people that we're not used to being around because we find people. It's easy for us to find people that think like us, act like us, agree with us, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden we become our own special interest group rather than the church that we're called to be. They need to investigate, all right, are the only people that I'm hanging out with in the church are the ones that are like, most like me? We need to recognize, well, what does it mean for me to open myself up to others in the church that aren't like me? That I could find those who might be idle, that need a warning, because oh, I did that, I was that way, or discouraged. Oh, I went through that suffering. Yeah, I know what you're going through. Or the weakness of spiritual depression you walk through and Seasons are just dark and bleak, and you can't figure out where the light is. People need, everybody needs one another in the body of Christ. Because what happens there, and this is when the church is collected, there's a warmth that should be there. You know how you walk into a greenhouse, and it's warm, it's humid? Patience should be that warmth that's in the church. Because the patience that we have with one another is the very thing that causes us to grow. You think about the church collected, God has justified uh, us by putting us together. When we place our faith in Christ, the Bible says we're justified. It's not based on our performance. We don't, we don't earn our way into God's acceptance of us. We can't perform enough. We'll never be able to perform enough. He, by faith, he positions us as righteous. We didn't earn that by our performance. He just says, I'm positioning you right now. I'm counting it to you because of your faith. Sanctification, on the other hand, is our everyday experience becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what the church is together to do. We have been collected together. We have been justified. And we, based on our faith in Christ, and now we are, we are loving one another into becoming holy like Jesus in our everyday lives, in our speech, our actions, our thoughts, our service. All of that is on purpose, and that's the greenhouse. It's the, to feel the warmth of God's presence with us because he has been patient with us, and we are to be patient with one another. But I, as I said earlier, patience in my life seems to live with unicorns at the end of the rainbow because I just can't seem to be patient enough. And I, I, I try. I try to gear myself up to be patient. This frustration meets me at every turn. The picture of patience we have for the church is not just sitting down waiting for others to get there. It's going back carrying them. I heard a commentator this week in preparation. He said, patience has a long fuse. That was a good picture. It's got a long fuse. You don't, you don't have a short fuse that ignites. It's got a long fuse. And that patience is most necessary when, we, when we've been sinned against by those that we're seeking to walk with. When the immature have acted out of zeal, not accompanied with knowledge or the, the person's going after a sin habit again and again and again, and there's not victory or they're stuck in condemnation again. Patience, we are called to display, is what has been on display to us by God. When God revealed himself to Moses, look at Exodus 34, 6. It says, The Lord passed by him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. All of those phrases... Give us the picture that God doesn't run ahead and demand us to come to him. But he's with us. And he carries us along. And he's patient with us. 
because his love for us is what purifies us. His love for us is what welcomes us into his presence and his kingdom. God's patience has been on display when we've acted out in our own immaturity, in our own ignorance of the Bible and obedience to God, and when our fear has been so high that we, it's been the mountain we can't move, that we need faith. We, we have stories of people in our own lives that have come to us in those moments, and they've been God's mercy. And this is the experience that we're to pass on to others because we can identify with them. But there's a patience in doing that. And John Newton, uh, pastor in England in the seven, late 1700s, author of Amazing Grace, uh, was just a, a rebel. Grew up, his mom loved Jesus, his dad didn't. Dad was a sailor, and he ended up on the seas, uh, just repudiated Christ, tried to undo everybody's relationship with God, ended up being the, the captain of a slave ship, made a few slave voyages with the Triangle, going down to Sierra Leone and over to the Americas. God rescued him in a, a, a storm at sea, this chaos that was around him, he understood was his own heart. But later on in life as a pastor, he said, I have been 30 years forming my own views, and in the course of this time, some of my hills have sunk, some of the, my valleys have risen. But how unreasonable would it be to expect all this should take place in another person, and that in the course of a year or two? That helpful, fatherly wisdom. How long, I, I calculate, I've, I've been in Christ 32 years, and I identify with that. Oh, some of my hills that I was ready to die on, they've sunk. And those, those other valleys that I didn't pay much attention to, oh, those have risen. We're, we, we're changed in that. But what we do is we come to other people, and you know, our experience is not always a one-stop. Like, for us, this is what mattered to us, so you just put this on and your life will be better. Not so much. But we're to be patient. And our expectation is to be, I want to be with you, so the warmth of my patience and God's patience spurs you on to growth. Now, what does this look like, patience at work in the church? Those who are idle, it's warning those whose lives are out of order, outside of God's will for them, warning the immature. Uh, the, and the immature are often idle because they're tempted to abandon their pursuit of God when, when time gets tough or, or when the walk gets tough. The church is to warn the idle, warn the irresponsible. It's also to encourage the faint-hearted, encourage those who constantly battle circumstances that rob joy. Also looks like encouraging the worried and the anxious among us. I think, also, I think it, it, as a concept as well with this discouragement, those who have been burned by relationships, who don't want to invest again in a relationship with others in the church because they just keep on getting burned. We're to encourage the discouraged in those. And the weak, those who lack faith in the face of fear, seeking to resort maybe to natural courses of action to bring a temporal relief to their circumstance, to their lives. The church is to hold these up like friends, those, those friends that dug a hole in the roof and put their paralytic friend down before Jesus saying, here, heal him. We got to get him in front of Jesus. That, that, that roof was made of dirt, about two feet thick. They were dirty to get their friend in front of Jesus. That's partly what patience looks like in walking with one another. But there is a, a warning to those who are walking with others, and that happens in verse 15. 
See that no one repays evil for evil. See, our, our frustrations, we, we, are, we come in contact with our frustrations when we're walking with people that aren't changing. And we need to make sure that, that our expectation for them, we're not holding our expectation for them in a way that God's expectation we're not paying attention to anymore. We, we want them to grasp what, what they're we're telling them, but they're not getting it. We get frustrated when the same excuses and reasons are used to not grow and not obey. We get frustrated when things are not understood quickly. We get frustrated when we're too simplistic about someone else's suffering. This is where we need to be very careful. David Powelson helps us uh, in his book, How Does Sanctification Work? helps us with this concept. There are no just do X, Y, or Z solutions to the puzzles of our sanctification. Scripture portrays the transformation of our lives in a range of colors and shades. There are reds, yellows, and blues with 16.8 million shades in between. So any monochromatic view of sanctification is like saying you are changed by the color red. For some Christians, some of the time, amid some life struggles, to remember the color red Justification by Christ's death, adoption as God's child, the forgiveness of sins proves pivotal. For other Christians at other times, facing other specific struggles, other colors prove pivotal. See, what God's calling to the, this one another is not that patience doesn't look like make sure everybody does what you did and, and hold them accountable to make sure they do it like you did because it worked for you. That's not what patience looks like. Patience looks like presence. I'm here with you. I'm here to support you. I'm here when, when you want to pull all your hair out. I'm here when you just tears won't stop flowing. I'm here. Because that's what we have in Christ. We have his presence that's with us always. And the effect of our patience is, is our con- consistent presence upholding those who are needy in the body of Christ. And sanctification requires repetition. We need to repeat ourselves to one another, but we need to repeat ourselves like God repeats himself to us. You know, in all my experience, in my 32 years of walking with the Lord, he doesn't yell at me. He's never hit me over the head with something. He's never schooled me. These weird phrases that through the years people use to describe when God just turns a light bulb on and we see something and go, Of course, yes. God's grace. Right now I'll let you see it right now. Here. But all of them, he's just saying, trust me. Trust me with these. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. That means when we lack wisdom, we can go to the Father and say, please give me wisdom. And he doesn't come to us and say, look, it's like the fifth time I've given you this wisdom. Look at what you've done with the other four. Huh? When are you going to get your act together? Can you do this? That's reproach. Reproach is re- giving the wisdom but reminding us how we failed at the other time. He gives without reproach. Here. Here. Now, that is to posture us with one another. The difficult people in our lives where we have been burned by them. They have sinned against us in particular ways. That's who we're called to be patient with. We need to make sure that we don't punish people repaying evil for evil when growth is slow. We should not punish with our silence or our absence or our anger. We need to have a long view, a very long view. But there's confidence, 
And that comes in verse 15 as well. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. We have that confidence because that's God's promise to us. He never turns away from doing good to us, Jeremiah 32. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. Hear that. I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. How gracious of the Lord. How wonderful of the Lord. So this confidence to do good looks just one practical advice. When we're walking with people, we need to choose what we go after wisely. Like go after one thing, don't go after everything, but choose wisely what that is and have a common agreement. Say, hey, let's, let's go after this. Let's seek God's glory to show up in your life in this area. Walk with them. And then when, when God proves his faithfulness and there's a steadiness and a stability about their walk, then you're able to say, all right, let's go after something else. That's how we've grown. That's the patience of God that shows up in our own lives. The church, this means love one another, be patient with growth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your reminder that is always, always gracious. Every time you remind us of the truth, we are we're led and, and uh, we're captured and drawn toward you to give you more of our hearts and to trust you more with everything we are. And that's, we trust that's happened today, God. We ask for fruitfulness. We ask for this church, Lord, to have the warmth of patience so we can be a spiritual greenhouse where people see your exaltation and love you all the more. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, we have received the word, and now our commission is a reminder to go with the word. Let's recite this together. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptized.